evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ash. My name is Craig Schneider. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ash. My name is Craig Schneider. That a hole, eleven hundred miles south southeast of me, is Kip Fisher, and we are coming to you live for the hundred and sixteenth time on this twenty ninth day of May. And I don't think I'm even going to ask how he is. Kip, it's your turn to talk. <laughs> I'm doing much better now. Things are looking up. Good. Glad to hear that. I hope that uh, that means things are going well personally with your belongings. <laughs> that was not nice. <laughs> <laughs> you can play that game. <laughs> yeah, folks. <sighs> I am in the midst, as most of you probably know, of moving to the Dominican Republic and took the first shipment composed of about a third of our worldly goods that we're keeping today to drop them off this evening at uh, at the company that's shipping it to the Dominican for us. It's a cargo or a cartage company in Tampa. It turns out there are two of these such companies in Tampa very near each other with very similar names and I shipped it with the wrong one, which turns out are people I don't know. So I have given a big portion of our worldly possessions to someone I don't really know or have any faith in their reliability and paid them a lot of money to do it. (laughs) So hopefully what are you drinking tonight, Kip? (laughs) uh, Nothing. I'm out of coffee. even. Wow. Hopefully the stuff shows up there in about three weeks, though. That's what they told me. Well, let's hope. Hmm. Ay, ay, Otherwise, what are you going to do? I mean, like, that's a serious question. What would you do? I guess I would do without. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's that's probably the best possible response you could have had. (laughs) Not much else to do. Uh, well, my friend, I I hope that we can bring a little ray of sunshine to an otherwise cloudy day for you. And uh, over the next hour or two, we can have a couple laughs, enjoy a little insanity, and uh, relax a little bit. So, yeah. See, tell I us a little so, bit about what we're smoking tonight. Well, sure. We. Uh, we have a mighty tasty cigar. Sorry, I lit mine up about 15 minutes ago. Um, it is the San Cristobal, San Cristobal de la Habana uh, Mercaderes, I believe. Um, what this cigar is, it's a La Casa de la Habana um, special or re- specific release. I don't know specifically what I should call it, but... Uh, it's a cigar that was manufactured for sale only at La Casa's around the world. Um, <clears throat> and it's a commemorative release uh, from the brand meant to pay tribute to Cuba's capital. So the box insert has got a little bit of an interesting story on it. So I'm just going to read it straight from that. It's kind of a cool couple lines. So San Cristobal de la Habana is a Habano branded, excuse me, Habano brand created to pay tribute to Cuba's historical capital. The new Vitola, called the Mercaderes, Mercaderes, excuse me. I'm loving that. Spanish isn't exactly very good today, or any day. Um, 
The Mercaderes is named after a major street in Old Havana that used to be a bustling commercial center and meeting ground of tobacco merchants back in the early goings-on of the nation's capital. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool little uh, thing to share here and <clears throat> something that I didn't even know until I took the time to read that insert. That's that's literally from the insert in the box. Um, it's a new Vitola, roughly six and a half inches long by a 48 ring. And it was rolled initially, excuse me, that special Vitola was created initially just uh, for this one specific release. So cigar tends to be filled with cocoa and graham flavors, graham cracker flavors. But today I'm getting an awful lot of brown sugar, which is really, really enjoyable. Uh, it's a medium bodied and medium strength cigar, slightly savory dessert like treat. So box code on this is EMA January 07. And that's something that I haven't done uh, prior to, but I think now if I've got a cigar that comes with a box code, I'm going to uh, share specifically what that is. And in this case, I shared it because uh, in 2007, I was not really buying anymore. And so I was not up on uh, factory codes. So if there's anyone who knows what EMA is, I'd be interested to know what factory that is. Somebody had mentioned previously that they thought um, that was the, uh, what do they think it was? I think they said the Arredo Mundo factory before it cha- changed over, but I can't substantiate that. And it sounds a little odd that that would have been uh, the manufacturer of this uh, release. But if anybody else can, I would very much like to uh, hear about that. So let me know what EMA is, folks. Yeah, they mix up those codes every once in a while, don't they? Uh, I think they're now doing it annually. Okay. That'd be every once in a while. For a while. That, yeah, thanks, smart Alec. <laughs> um, I just want to flick my camera right now <laughs> and imagine it's the back of your ear. Um, yeah, for a long time, factory codes were... were uh, deciphered and people knew what was Elegito or Partigas or any of the other number of factories that are around. Uh, but then uh, Abanos wanted to really cut back on that and so they're changing them up. So anytime somebody gets a solid hold on what a new code is, it tends to go up on the boards and people say, hey, put it in your records. In 2015 uh, PWS is blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of a neat thing. I used to stay up on it. Certainly not anymore, but um, I'm still, well, I shouldn't say certainly not anymore. Certainly not anymore from the standpoint of uh, I'm not really buying. So I'm not keeping up for practical reasons, but I am still interested. Well, I got a question for you. Mm. And we talk a lot about Vitolas and you are our Vitola expert in residence. When you say this is a special Vitola rolled for this this cigar, is that a hard, fast rule that the Cuban industry, at least since the revolution, hasn't produced anything else that's roughly six and a half by 48? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what you have is your front mark, which is your name. Let's call it... the last show that I was on, we had the Monte Cristo number one. That was the front mark. That was the cigar that we, uh, well, the number one was the front mark. That was the name of the cigar commercially available. 
and then you have the type of uh, Vitola that it is, you would call that a Lonsdale. Um, the actual factory Vitola name is a Cervantes. So it, it, there's there's basically three names for what could be the size of a cigar. Um, so this, in that case, would be the Mercadoris or Mercaderis. Uh, that would be this new Vitola, which the um, Vitola name is the Mercaderis. And since there's no other... Um, this isn't a well-known cigar name like a Corona, Petit Corona, Lonsdale, Double Corona, whatever. Um, we really don't have any way to break that out. But in this case, which is a relatively rare thing, the front mark, the Vitola name, and the factory Vitola name are all three the exact same thing. That does not happen very often. So, <clears throat> you know, um, it has certainly happened before, but uh, not now. Let me see cool. if I can give you a good example of what a, a basic uh, – oh, I turned to a perfect page. Um, what another basic um, cigar would be. So the um, factory name, the factory size name for Robusto is a Robusto. So that one's another basic one um, that does happen to be the same thing. <clears throat> but you might see like uh, – uh, a Churchill, what's commonly referred to as a Churchill, the factory name is a uh, Julieta II. So it's it's there's really not a lot of rhyme or reason, or at least not a lot of rhyme or reason that I've figured out. But um, you know, they, for some odd reason, there are uh, cigar sizes and then factory names for how those sizes are referred to. So it's all kind of all kind of wacky, but it is the way that it has been in Cuba for many, many, many moons since. Well, boy, I'm making this a longer conversation than it needs to be. But um, before the revolution, there were hundreds upon hundreds of Vitolas that were made of all random sizes and shapes. After, it was greatly simplified to a much, much smaller number. Um, <clears throat> and more recently, they've discontinued a lot of the smaller Vitolas, but have created a lot of newer Vitolas on the larger scale, because for decades, people didn't smoke 60, 56, 54 ring gauge cigars. Now we're just getting into it. And the Cuban cigar industry is making new Vitola names to fit that. And those gotcha. Vitola have new factory names. So pre-revolution, it was just willy nilly, kind of like the rest of the world is today. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, that's, I guess, one good thing that came out of the revolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little yeah. organization. Complete organization. Hmm. Cool. It'd sure be nice if there was some kind of organization in the rest of the world. You know, yeah. just to close the door on this first little talk about this cigar, I get the brown sugar you're talking about, but heavily or predominantly on the finish more than the smoke itself. Smoke's a little brighter to me, almost like a... Um, like a really light kind of black tea, like a lady gray kind of tea where it's just you know faint or dainty. It's not heavy or, or bold, hmm. but I like it. Well, this cigar is eight and a half years old and it has definitely gained a lot more of those soft type flavors. You know uh, how you describe that lady gray. Um, and I certainly don't know my teas well enough to comment on, uh, a type of tea will go with yours, but um, without question, this comes across very much 
as a, a soft type of flavor. Um, it's not something that big and bold and brash. This is kind of where the medium body and medium strength um, comment of mine comes in. I really feel that this is a cigar that has a lot of flavor. It is very full flavored to me, but none of those flavors come across as being rough. It's it's very well matured at eight years old, I think. Do you, know, do you know Earl Grey tea? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know the, the bergamot, bergamot, that gives it that, that kind of different little flavor? Yes. The lady gray is that, but toned way, way down. Where it's just might, just kind of barely there. I might like Lady Grey. I might seek it out then. Yeah, I like it. It's good. <clears throat> I, I'm not a tea expert, but I do enjoy hot tea on occasion. Hmm. Learn something every day. Yeah. Well, what it's else? been uh, it's been two weeks since I've been on the show. As our regular listeners will know, I'm I'm starting to become a part time host here. I'll, I'll shed a tear at another time. It's. Uh, it's just one of the things you got to do. And so we're bringing in a lot of great guest hosts. And certainly, as you can tell, the last two have been uh, Bob McDuffie more recently and Dale Roush a couple weeks before that. And we will have more in the uh, in the future. So stay tuned. But uh, since, like all of the rest of you, I have not had the chance to listen to last week's show. Uh, tell us a little bit about how it went. We, uh, I know we're going to get it published up here just as soon as we have some technical things uh, sorted out. But Give us a little preview for those of us who weren't exactly around. Yeah, well, well actually, Bob is his normal charming self. <laughs> and, uh, we were smoking the Ashton Symmetry, and he gave us some in-depth explanations on how that was quite a bit different from what he's mostly smoking these days. Uh, and he found it quite enjoyable, but don't I don't think he, he could justify the price tag for going out and picking up too many of them on his own going forward. Mm-hmm. But he did have a good time with the cigar. We both agreed it was good. Um, kind of hit him up a few times on a few of the, the news stories. And we talked a little about AJ Fernandez, some Fratello, which we did, the two of us have not talked a great deal about. Um, but we kind of dabbled there a little bit. Um, and I, I was kind of, poking at him a little bit here and there with his thoughts on a few trends in the industry, but uh, it, it, it went well. Well, Bob always love having Bob around. He's a hell of a guy. Bob, I was actually thinking a lot about uh, Bob this week. Um, I was in Colorado until just about 45 minutes ago when I walked in my front door Um I was in Colorado for the past uh, eight days or so and uh, seeing my folks and did some fishing and uh, spent a lot of time just out there doing random things. And Bob and I had talked last year about actually taking a fishing trip together, getting, you know, getting the band back together (laughs) and seeing (laughs) if, uh, um, you know, just some of us who have developed a friendship over the last seven, eight, nine years, whatever the heck it's been. Um, would ever want to go fly fishing out west some river uh, and have a good time. And so I'm driving through the mountains and thinking about, uh, you know, hell, we could we could maybe do that. That would be pretty fun. And I'm thinking about maybe uh, opening it up and getting an invitation to some buddies who listen to the show. I know we've got Ian Winchester up in Montana, who's uh, our resident fly fishing expert. Maybe we could do something up by him. Or And I, this is totally spur of the moment. Haven't given it any thought whatsoever, but 
it's just been so darn long since I've seen Bob and he had talked about it and I was, I was doing a little fishing myself. I thought it might just be the perfect thing to, to plan for next year or something, but somebody will be out of the country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that somebody also is without a fly rod at the moment. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah. I drove, I, I, I had one old piece of crap fly rod. That's just, it's just dead. And then the other one, I drove over and broke it. Oh, <laughs> but eh, I, I just got to hit Terry Johnson up, get him, make me a fly rod. My, uh, my old man, when I was a kid, still living at home and still taking family vacations, I was, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. And, uh, I can distinctly remember the night before vacation. It was late. I was already in bed and my dad was packing the car. And I'm inside my house. We have a two-story house, and my bedroom was on the opposite side of our driveway. And I hear my dad shut the back of our Astro van. <clears throat> we had the, the Dutch doors, the two on the bottom and then the one on the top of the, the back tailgate. And he shut the tip of his fly rod in the top of the tailgate at oh. 9.30 at night. And if anybody out there who's a listener, there are some who have met my dad you'll know that he is one of the more mild-mannered men you'll ever meet in your life. Burly and masculine, a macho man, but very mild-mannered. It's, it's late. My dad's packing up, breaks his rod tip. The only thing that I hear after the tailgate slam is something that I will not repeat on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy, what the heck was that? And I found out the next morning that we weren't going to be doing much fishing. Oh, man. Oh, frustrating. That sucks. Looking back, it was quite funny. Yeah, now. Yeah, now. Absolutely. I'm still not (laughs) laughing about mine. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Well, we uh, we got a show ahead of us that we've kind of yapped here and there about for 20 minutes. Haven't really gotten to the meat, but... For what it's worth, I'm home, I'm tired, and I'm ready to smoke what, and what we've got, and it appears to be a pretty darn good one. So stick around, folks. Tonight will sure be interesting, as I have absolutely no idea what's in the rest of the notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's different than any other week, Hal. I, I am often <laughs> well-versed in what we have here. Not always. I uh, know. I just like teasing. Well, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, first week, first week, first story up here is really just a, an update on something we talked about a number of weeks ago uh, out in Kansas with Governor Sam Brownback, who uh, hinted at this and then just said it outright and now has formally proposed and introduced his, his budget proposal for the upcoming year. And uh, he said what he was going to do, said he wanted to include some increases on tobacco and, and liquor taxes. And, and he's done just that. And of course, this has to go through the normal legislative process. So who knows what will happen. But but if uh, if it goes through as it's written, uh, cigars would go from a 10 percent wholesale tax to 25 percent. So the taxes on your cigars for you, Kansas folk. Uh, that, that's a pretty big drop, you know, a pretty big jump. I'm sorry, two and a half times the existing tax rate. Yeah, uh, that's that's at wholesale, of course, but still, cigarettes will get a dollar fifty a pack increase. The uh, 
I think the liquor tax would go up by 50%. So it's like, but not, not 50% tax rate as it goes from like eight to 12 or something like that. Um, but that, that's a, that's a pretty dang big hump for cigars. You know, you're looking at a couple bucks on every cigar you buy in Kansas going forward, if that's the case. I wonder if somebody has done a study on <clears throat> the initial loss of revenue um, from a bill being passed such as this. I mean, do people initially resort to purchasing your your goods on the internet or over state lines, and then as they they warm to the legislation, it returns a little bit. I wonder if anyone really knows what the hit is on this or does an increase in the tobacco tax such as this really just force the people on those ancillary areas, the Kansas city um, and some of the other uh, larger metropolitan areas that are relatively close to other States to where now they're just always going to go out of state. I, I wonder what that truly is. Yeah, that's, that's, I would imagine largely unpredictable because there's some portion already going there just because a surrounding state may have a lower tax rate or you can order it online out of Pennsylvania with right at the moment, no cigar tax or Florida and and get it cheaper and even avoid sales tax. If you're that kind of rebel, um, but uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is under the gun right now. If they end up doing what has been proposed, they're going to get a 40% tax on their cigars going from zero. Wow. And that's, that's big. Pennsylvania is a big cigar state. They are, they are one of the last three with no cigar tax. I believe it's Florida, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire. Um, and Pennsylvania has famous smoke shop. They have cigars international. They, they have a number of big internet retailers that, that are there because there's no tax on cigars. And, and I imagine I, they're gonna jump ship if if they have to, but that, that'd be a that'd be a big deal if it passes. So yeah, back to Kansas or, or any other state for that matter, it's hard to gauge who is already buying out of state, who quits because of a new tax or cuts back or whatever. I, mean, it, I don't know. I don't know if there's an easy way to capture that kind of information. Yeah, I'd be curious about that. I, I'm sure somebody's tried. I just don't know if it's logical i mean if it's going to vary state to state so much where it doesn't even really make sense yeah and there are some states you know it, it, it would be impacted even by where a state's major centers of population are kansas city is a border city so you'd never track down where those people are buying the tobacco yeah yeah very true <clears throat> i don't know i think there's just probably too many variables for a human mind to get around well, I don't know if that's the case, but you definitely have to handle it on a case-by-case -case basis. I, just by talking for these five minutes, it seems like it would be impossible to make a hard and fast law, at least. Yeah, at or least. Or not law, but study. At least with the information at hand today. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe we could ask the NSA. They could tell us what everybody's buying. <laughs> yeah, no joke. The... The background of this is interesting to me. Um, <clears throat> the fact that the governor's intent is to lower state income taxes and and that he's going to accomplish that in this manner. So it seems very interesting to me that that 
uh, I don't know if it's interesting. I guess it should just be expected. But the idea that, uh, well, we'll we'll tax this rather than taxing your income. Yeah, um, and and vice taxes, sin taxes, luxury tax, whatever you want to call it, are not anything new. But it's certainly it, not. But as somebody who enjoys cigars, that just rubs me the wrong way as a punitive thing on people who participate in something that may not be politically acceptable these days or, or smiled upon. Well, I guess the where I'm going with that is that this isn't so much. No, think of my two points as being tied together. Okay, you're going to lower state income tax to zero, and you're going to do it based upon an idea that you really have no clue how long term this is going to be able to be sustainable. Right. You know what and, I mean? And yeah, and he has some numbers. Uh, the proposed savings or propo- not savings, proposed increased revenue over the next two years. But state of Florida has no state income tax and no cigar tax. We're not a highly taxed state in general, but we still manage to get by. Well, state of Florida. I, I mean, you get by, but Kansas doesn't have Disney World, Universal, <laughs> E West, Miami. Yeah, well, I guess they need to start building good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it's interesting to me that this just sounds very much like a political topic that I'm extremely jaded by. I, I don't know what Sam Brownback's intentions are and in a few years after his reelection bid may come up and may fail, but it just seems interesting that this is just eventually by the time it's all matured going to become somebody else's problem that that he might have a situation where <clears throat> he's not generating the 100 million dollars that he anticipated and he eliminated state income tax. So what you gonna do, Sam? I, I like I just I, I don't understand how you can rely on such measures that truly have not proven to be fully fruitful. Right, and and I would say at best he's getting those numbers gauging some percentage of people who smoke based on surveys and don't. Uh, this is all speculation and probably doesn't take into consideration how many of those people are buying out of state already. It's not going to impact the, his bottom line at all. If they're buying from other States today, it's not going to be any increased revenue from those people. Amen. I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't envy the position because I understand he has to have <clears throat> certain political goals and things that he's trying to accomplish. You're not just going to do nothing except be a decision maker. You need to, you need to propose items as well. I get the position. It just seems as if it's just a political stalemate. I mean, it's it's one move forward, one move back, and it's. I, I would imagine his intention is to just push it off so much until it becomes somebody else's problem. But he looked good, yeah. You know, and I don't know if he has intentions of wanting to. Uh, be a Republican candidate in 2020 for president. I, I mean, who knows? It's There's always uh, a horizon when it comes to politicians, and I'm just not a politician fan. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think you should have a cigar and relax. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good at that. What else we got in here? 
Ah, De Croissier cigars, who we've not talked a whole lot about, but we smoked one blindly last year that was sent to us by Maria Elena Gonzalez. Um, and both adored that cigar, if I remember correctly, and had some some strong assertions about it <laughs> one way yeah. or that we we really liked it. Um, I don't remember which one, the 10th anniversary, something like that. Uh, yes, I, don't, I don't have those available locally on the shelf, so I can't say that I've bought any since then. But um, they have moved their distribution only over to Espinosa. They've been handling that in-house up until now, and uh, which is kind of a, a unique arrangement because Eric Espinosa and La Zona Factory, they, they don't manufacture De Quassier cigars. They're only going to be distribution for them. And Isaias Diaz, the, the owner of De Quassier, is kind of doing this. He has a friendship with Eric Espinosa, but he's, he's doing this with an aim at getting a bigger exposure maybe than he's been able to accomplish on his own and get his cigars into the hands of more shops. At least that's the hope. So, you know, I, th I thought it was kind of a, a neat thing and maybe a little different than, than what we commonly see with a manufacturer distributing something they made themselves. Um, but rather in this case, it's he's taking possession of the cigars and distributing, but he's not making them. Hmm. It's, I, I, I believe Perdomo does a lot of this, don't they? Um, <clears throat> I'm putting you on the spot, but Perdomo is not a company I'm super familiar with. Uh, just frankly, I I don't enjoy a great number of their cigars. N nothing wrong with them; they're just not my cup of tea. So I can't say that I keep a you know a close eye on what they're doing. Um, so I don't know. I I, I know they do a lot of contract work and they Perdomo and Toronto both before Toronto was sold to general would do some, some things like this, like Toronto would distribute a number of different brands that they didn't necessarily manufacture. They would just pick up the distribution. And I think originally they were aiming at maybe being a little more major player in the distribution world. And I don't know that that's really panned out, but hmm. I don't know. Yeah, an example for um, <clears throat> Tarania would be the, um, oh gosh, I was going to call it the Brother of the Leaf, but that's their LLC name, not the cigar name. Help me out here. Essencia. Thank you, the Essencia. But, yeah, uh, Tarania did Essencia. They did Sam Lasia's cigars, and how Tarania and Lasia's both under general. Mm hmm. And it seems like didn't Tarano and CAO partner up for just a very brief period of time six or eight years ago? I think CAO manufactured their cigars with Tarano for a, a period in um, Don Lee, like 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, it's been a long time. I believe that uh, that was the case. That might even be longer than that, actually. Jeez. Uh, when you're old as me, time flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. uh -huh. Oh, man. Another legislative story here next. Um, I put into the notes that I kind of keep tabs or monitor some of the many, many bands that, that, that pass around this nation lately. And when I say many, there are many. Um, just you, know, you can hit the old Google on a daily basis and find 
15 or more uh, that have gone into effect or passed or been proposed just every day uh, in municipalities around the country. And I usually check up on a few, but there was one that just kind of had me taken aback just a little bit this week. And it came in and actually I caught this through a half wheel. Uh, I don't remember if it was a Facebook post or a tweet and I had to look at it because it was out of Waynesville, North Carolina, which is a, a small town I'm very familiar with. I've been there many times and used to, in a past career, purchase lumber out of that, that little town. And it's about as smoking a town as you'll find. I, I, I haven't been there in 15 years, but man, it was one of those places you could go and the non-smoking section of restaurants would be some little corner somewhere and everybody else is smoking. It is just, it's tobacco mm. country. And yeah. you know, it's, it's right in the foothills of the Smokies on the North Carolina side. And I, 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 they passed a smoking ban that, <laughs> that, that one includes e-cigarettes, not just smoking proper, but smoking when you're not smoking. And, and it covers essentially every, public place in the area. There are parks, there are, there are sidewalks, there are government vehicles, the greenways, around areas around buildings, public buildings. I just, I didn't see this coming. And, you know, I remember within the past 10 years or so, I could go back to Tennessee and, and in Gatlinburg, um, the mall where the little cigar shop was that I didn't do a lot of shopping there, but I knew all the guys and they still remember me and treat me like I was their long lost brother. Every time I visit from Florida, you go in that mall and you can smoke anywhere in the building, any store, any anywhere, unless the store itself had a policy against it. You can just have a cigar and walk around the mall all day if you want to. And, but, and then of course that's no longer, that's been taken back too, but I don't know. I just, I, I was not, in a mindset to, to see that coming out of North Carolina. And, you know, I, and I know it's not, it's not the only place in North Carolina, but it's a place I'm familiar with. And I know a large percentage of that population smokes. And I was just surprised to see that go through. I don't even know. I'll put it this way. You and me talking, this isn't going to be heard by thousands of people. What do you think the reality is that in a few years, a place like North Carolina may shift back to being on the opposite side of the political spectrum other than where they're obviously leaning in this vote? Um, and things like this will be regretted. Uh, it, North Carolina, it's just, I mean, it is bred into that state. Yeah, I mean... It's no, it's not a small part of the population that grows tobacco or has a government allotment for growing tobacco. And it's just, it's just done. That's just how life has been done there for ever. Hundreds of years. Yeah. That's uh, just crazy. Yeah. I don't know. And the thing is, when you talk about something, you know, something being going back or being regretted or whatever, it's, it, I don't know that that'll happen because the, in the same way that CRA is happy and promotes the fact that their bill is supported by many people on both sides of the aisle, the opposite, the, the other side of that coin is the anti-smoking factions fall on both sides of the aisle as well. It, it, it's not a, a, 
uh, a topic that is just easily divided where you say, well, Republicans are okay with tobacco and Democrats are not or vice versa. It's just, it's just, it doesn't fall along party lines. So it's, it's, I don't know that it'll, it'll just flip with a changing of the guard politically. Hmm. I suppose that's a probably more educated view of the situation. It's just, uh, Man, it's shocking to say the least. Mm-hmm. It's shocking, and it's even more shocking that it's not unique. You know, it's it doesn't surprise me to see it in a lot of places. This surprised me. The number of these stories that I see popping up daily surprises me, but it surprises me less because we've just gotten used to it. And you yeah. know, it, at some point, yeah. everywhere has a smoking ban, and we run out of these stories. I last week I I uh, was around someone on two different days that was smoking an e-cigarette, and they weren't they weren't flavored or scented or whatever the proper term is for these things. And I was in the same room with them for hours, and it it was I, I hate to use an uneducated opinion or to have an uneducated opinion here, but because I admittedly do not know much about e-cigarettes, but it is such a welcome compromise to someone who's not a cigarette smoker to not be blasted in the face by cigarette smoke in a private residence. You know, Mm -hmm. you walk into someone's house and they're, they're smoking an e-cigarette and not a cigarette. And it's not that, that heavy feel when you walk out, you just have this aura around you of cigarette smoke. And it's just frustrating that, that, the intentions here truly are to change lifestyle of yeah. the, the personal choice of people. Absolutely. Man, it's shocking to me. It's just shocking to me. Yep. And, and and that's it. I mean, there's no longer a leg to stand on that. Well, we're going to ban the smoking because it bothers other people even, which is ridiculous to me in outdoor arenas, but uh, you're bothered by Steam, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it gets me all cranked up. Yeah. <laughs> John cranked up. Man, let's see. Twenty years ago, a little more than that. Good grief! Twenty-four years ago, I started working at Phillips Magnavox in Jefferson City, Tennessee. And with the exception of places like the finishing room where they were spraying solvents and that kind of thing, you could pretty much smoke anywhere in that building. And I shared an office with an old dude who many times I caught him with two cigarettes lit at once. He just all day. (laughs) Wow. And I shared an office with that guy and and it was like, come home at the end of the day and scrape the cigarette smoke off of me. But that's just, that was just how it was in that factory at the time. Did I ever tell you about the time that I was walking into a box factory at, uh, uh, a relatively well-known cigar manufacturer, and I had my cigar lit, and I'm just walking in there, not even thinking twice about what I'm doing. <laughs> How much they freaked out when I walked in there! No, 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 no! Oh man, that was that was quite the experience. That uh, that's a way to introduce yourself to a lot of people you haven't met before. Let me tell you. There was a time in this factory I'm talking about where gasoline-powered forklifts were driven through that finishing room all day long. 
that's just what they had. And then they switched wow. to electric, which wasn't a whole lot better, but not as bad anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Uh, let's wow. see what else we got here. Oh, this is more of an announcement than really a story, but because uh, I know we have a lot of fans of Crowned Heads, me being one of them. And I know a lot of those as a subset are fans, were fans of last year's Las Calaveras. Zedman, I know, was one. I'm a huge fan of that cigar. I don't know exactly what's changing for this year, but they're made, they're rested, they're proper, they're packaged, and they have left Nicaragua, headed for Nashville, and should be hitting some store shelves in the next couple of weeks. So I'm hoping maybe to get my hands on them one or two of those before I get out of the country. Cause I liked them last year. Hope I like them this year. <laughs> are they, uh, forgive me for being uninformed here. Are they supposed to be an identical blend? I don't recall. Uh, it's been kid grief. We've been talking about these since February. I'd have to look and see, but, uh, I'm going to see what I can see here real fast here. Mm-hmm. Hum the uh, um, dang it was a Jeopardy theme song. Uh, composed of Nicaraguan tobacco, the binder and filler, and has an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper for this year. I'm getting there. No, 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 that's fine. I'm uh, enjoying the chat room. You, you was, take your time. Actually, one of this was sent to me unbanded by Zedman and, uh, and and the forum exchange, not part of the show. And Zedman in the chat room says that it's not a different blend, but has a risotto wrapper. Uh-huh. Yep, I just I see that now. So there one might say that that is a different blend, but I think there's a new Vitola this year. Though. Hmm. Already I don't know if I've even. I don't think you didn't send me any of those Las Calaveras, did you? Uh, did I send you Angel's Anvil? Because I'm yes, pretty sure. I sent, okay, then maybe not. Then I don't think I've even had one. Really? No, I, I don't really have anybody around me who's crown heads. I've got one retailer, and all they have are um, four kicks. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Well. It was good. <laughs> I don't have any more to send you, but it was good. No, no need to send me any. That wasn't the intent. And actually, it's one of the highest scores I've come up with in a review since we changed the uh, the numbering system. Hmm. It was a 92. Dun, dun, dun. All righty, then. What else we got here? Well, no, next Zedman, story is rather interesting. Zedman said, no, it is a different blend. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Try punctuation, Zedman. It works. You should consider that in Canada. <laughs> He's probably going to tell you to try finding your information instead of asking your chat room. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I uh, The chat room was kind enough to butt in, but don't butt in if the information's not right. Burn! <laughs> Well, I'm interested to see your thoughts and opinions on this. Actually, this next story from Gran Habano. 
Oh, I got a thought on it. Let me tell you. I kind of thought you just might. This is uh, something they got coming out called the Private Humidor Selection, uh, reportedly from George Rico's personal reserve. And uh, apparently he has, over the past decade or more, stockpiled 30,000 cigars in his personal stash. And uh, he's going to start putting some of those out in a series. The first one is going to be a 7.5 by 38 Lancero that has apparently been sitting there aging for seven to eight years. Nicaraguan Puro made at their Honduran factory, going to retail for about 10 bucks, 2,500 of them made, going to only go to a handful of retailers. Go. Um, <laughs> think of that dirty word that I wasn't going to say that my father said when he broke his rod tip and apply some variant of that to this story. <laughs> I I was at their Honduran factory seven years ago. I specifically wanted a 38 by 7 or 38 by 7.5 ring gauge cigar, and they did not have a mold for a 38 ring. They had a 40 ring. So I, unless maybe the guy screwed up his dates and it's six to seven years and it was really six years. <laughs> no, this did not happen. It did not happen. So let's let's just give the guy a chance to uh, say that maybe his years were wrong, but I know those molds did not exist at their Honduran factory in Donley seven to eight years ago. End of story. That is glorious. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Because yeah, we've smoked a Chagringo here on this show, and it yep. was a seven and a half by 40. They didn't have that mold. Wow. <sighs> well, maybe they just didn't want to let you use that mold. No, no, because I knew the factory manager, and she loved me. That's <laughs> the same woman. Karina is her name. I finally remembered her name. I had forgotten it last uh, last time we talked about this. That was the same woman who would unroll the wrapper leaf off of a cigar, unroll the binder leaf off of a cigar, daintily unbunch the filler leaves and be able to tell you what each tobacco was and where it came from by sight, aroma, feel, uh, burn as you would as you would you would ignite a segment of it and see how it burned. Uh, it, it, I trust her. Especially because when I thought that I had a sample, I or uh, when I thought that I had a blend, I asked for three more cigars. She knew that I liked that sample, and so she gave me three bundles of those cigars and said, "I'll charge you for three cigars." Wow, she was she was just a great, great lady and knew her tobacco, knows her tobacco. I'm sure she's still there. Hell of an asset to that company, and one of the reasons why I respect them so much because I know there are great great tobacco mines behind what they do <clears throat> Guillermo Rico great tobacco mine great tobacco mine not the greatest of cigar smokers he's actually not the biggest of cigar smokers but he knows his tobacco this this factory manager Karina unbelievable tobacco mind and tobacco knowledge that's what I respect and I know that that company has a lot of that integrity but I also know that this is BS 
So there you have it. If anybody knows George, give him a call. Tell him Craig's calling him out. And tell George that he's a year and a half late for his invitation that he blew us off for to attend this show. <laughs> That's right. He I'm, was I'm, scheduled and set in like 30 minutes before airtime. Didn't Couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> don't hold a grudge or anything, do you? No, I don't hold a grudge. I just have a memory, and I don't expect him to be able to be without fault from standing us up and leaving us without a show that night. That bastard. <laughs> we always have a backup. Yep, we always have a backup. Most of the time, sometimes. So, <laughs> these cigars don't exist as far as Craig Schneider is concerned. Well, it, it, they may exist, but... But they're not seven or eight years old. They're not seven or eight years old. Because that was one of the marketing points of this, is, is their long aging. Mm. Yep. So, I'm yeah, guessing... I mean this is part of the reason you want there to be standards for these tobacco products, huh? This is exactly the reason I want there to be standards. Not because I like oversight or I like having to fit within laws or regulations because I hate liars. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that George is a liar. He could have made a mistake. But if he's pushing something that I know for a fact to not be true, that is a lie. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, we got up. one more story here. Press release came out uh, from the Roberto P. Duran folks. And I actually have not got it posted yet. I will. Um, a little tough to schedule things when, well, the thir- last 30 days has been the most insane 30 days of my life anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, I stuck this in there because I thought you would have maybe some comments also on this, maybe some interest anyway, that uh, Roberto P. Duran, who I don't believe we talked much about on the show, but I have reviewed uh, one of their cigars anyway some time ago. Uh, they hired Cristano Santo Cardenas as their master blender, who uh, he, who apparently has been in the Cuban cigar industry for 55 years, dating back to 1960. And then he started out with uh, the Upman mark, the Upman brand, in the Monte Cristo factory, worked his way up. He headed up production at El Rey Mundo uh, and Partagas, and subsequently served as a global ambassador for, for Habanos SA, I guess. And, you know, traveling the planet, putting on exhibitions and shows and whatnot. And he's, that was recent, but uh, apparently Roberto Duran was heavily influenced and even maybe mentored a little bit by Cardenas. And uh, and so they know each other. They have a longstanding relationship and they, they brought him in as their, their master blender at their um, Nika Tobacco factory in Esteli. So, it was pretty cool to have that connection there. I didn't know if you were familiar with this gentleman or not. Yeah, very much so. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot here, and we'll get to the sticks and bricks of this story because it's it's a cool story and one that I have opinions on, um, and one that I have some other information on a slightly related story. But uh, I was going to share it until I had some specifics, but it might just tie in perfectly. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to take a step back and say. I just noticed something when you mentioned his 55 years in the industry. 
when you said he started in 1960, I never made that connection. The, the year, yeah. It, correct, yeah, the year 1960. Didn't didn't the tobacco factories na- nationalize in 1960? Yep, ish. Well, I know 59, 59, uh, January 1st, 59, uh, Fujilinso Batista, whatever the hell his first name was, he left the country. And so um, the revolutionaries essentially had control of the nation in 1959. Mm. They didn't make it to Havana. What? Quick run through the Google says 1962 is when Castro's government nationalized the cigar brands. 62. Okay, not 61. All right. So I find it really, really interesting that time period that you have all these people who were who were in higher up places in factories. A factory manager, let's say, did did all those people have some sort of an allegiance or or and were they kept in their positions or did they stay in their positions or were they substituted in for or with excuse me um uh, people who were on the side of the revolution who were willing to say no i'm not going to make that amount of money any longer i'll make what you want to provide me you know the 16 dollars a day i'll do the same job rather than or i'm sorry 16 dollars a month rather than the $75 a month or whatever larger salary they may have taken. I, I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't have a lot of background to this, but it would be really, really interesting to, to hear the story of what happened in the specific cigar industry at that time. Were those masters who were so heavily involved at that point still wanting to be involved when everything changed and he would be a gentleman you could ask i imagine yeah that's a good question that would be that would be an unbelievable story to read i would love to read that book Hmm. Hmm. well okay so there's my uh my uh rat hole for this (laughs) new story at least um the the back to your more pointed question um yeah, I, I have definitely heard of, of uh, Chris Santo Cardenas. His cigars, which are typically referred to as Santos cigars, um, are a very highly sought-after master-blended cigar, or what a lot of people refer to as custom-rolled uh, cigars, even though they're he has his typical blend, and so they're not really custom. They're more master-rolled and master-blended cigars. Um, although you can, if you catch him or caught him, I assume he's no longer going to be doing this. If you caught him at the right time, you could order tweaks to his blends and he would truly then make you a custom rolled cigar. They were typically a little fuller, a little harder, a little strong. Well, a lot stronger than your typical Cuban cigar. Really? Yes. They were a lot stronger than your typical Cuban cigar. Um, and... You know, I might even have one. I, I, I'll see if I can send you some. I think I still have some of his. That's that's interesting to me in light of this story because I had a couple of the Roberto P. Duran cigars, and they were very mild to my taste in, in terms of their, their strength. 
the Santos custom blended or master rolled, whatever way you want to refer to them, cigars are probably the strongest and hardest flavor of all the master rolled or custom rolled cigars that I have smoked from Cuba. Hmm. Probably the strongest. Um, <clears throat> a lot of guys who, who really look for that kind of old school Partagas, Upman, strength, body, um, heft in a cigar, loved his and still continue to love his custom rolled cigars um, for that specific reason. Their strength and body and and type of flavor. Um, I find them to have some sweet cocoa, sweet coffee, a lot of heavy, rich tobacco, some deep, dark earth, um, and a nice leathery... Um, meaty texture to them. Really an, an interesting profile when it comes to Cuban cigars. Very interesting profile. Um, now the... <clears throat> he really only started being this custom rolled cigar, custom roller of cigars, or master roller of cigars when he... I believe this is correct. If someone knows otherwise, please correct me. Uh, when he became a global ambassador uh, with Abanos a number of years back. Um but uh, I would imagine that he's rolling cigars to his tastes and to his preference at that point when he's establishing his base blend, I'll say. Uh, but if if the Cuban cigar industry works a little bit different and someone is giving him the directive, uh, Chris Santos, we want you to roll a stronger profile with your, uh, with your cigars, I, I'd be interested to hear that. I just don't believe that it works that way. Hmm. Now, the, the tie-in is he is now the third master roller of cigars or um, yeah. custom roller, or maybe I shouldn't even say that because I'm going to include uh, Irochi Robana in this group of three gentlemen. Um, the third well-known Cuban cigar figurehead to have business dealings outside of Cuba in the last year. We have, as I said, Roche Rubena with his HR cigar from, um, uh, oh gosh, help me out here, Cubanacan. Um, mm -hmm. We have Cristanto Cardenas with uh, his recent tie now, as, as we're discussing, to Roberto Duran cigars. And the third, which has received very little fanfare, though is uh, something that we will hear much more of in the future. Um, Hamlet, the Hamlet cigars, or Hi, oh gosh, Jaime Garcia, I think is his name. Um, Pepin son. <laughs> well, I believe the same name, but uh, I know his first name is Jaime. I'm going to forget his last name. Let me quick look it up. Uh... Oh, he just says the Hamlet Jaime. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's not correct. But anyways, uh, let's say Hamlet Jaime. Um, and I'm forgetting if his last name is different from that or not. He has partnered with, believe it or not, any guesses? One of the largest cigar manufacturers in the world. Not a clue. Not Rocky enough. Patel. What? to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the edge 
Oh, is that the A10 that Barber Pole just put out? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't believe it's a Barber Pole, but um, he is is joining forces with Rocky Patel for some upcoming marketing and cigars. Uh, and that is out there, but it's not... Uh, I don't believe that it's really come to fruition yet. I just know that he's talked about it like on his Facebook page and a number of other places. So, Gotcha. The, uh, it's Jaime Paredes. There it is. Paredes. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> so it's it's a very, very interesting thing to see these, these high up Cuban cigar uh, patriarchs really branching out to the American market with their their uh, influence with Nicaraguan cigars. The um, 10th anniversary edge is called the A10 and it's on the shelves and it's a Barber Poe. Huh. Well, maybe that that's more of a monetary <laughs> thing than it is a blending. <laughs> I, I have not had the cigar. I don't know much about the combination. I just know that uh, Hamlet as Jaime Paredes has been, his cigars have been referred to and his name as a master roller of cigars has been referred to is one of the most well-known master rollers of Cuban cigars. He's done things like the resurrection of past blends that have been discontinued. Um, He had a number of cigars, which were uh, just absolutely stunning, stunning, stunning examples of blends, which had been discontinued. He uh, brought back the pre 1995 Partigas blend he went and found as much tobacco as similar to what those those cigars were pre-1995 and would provide custom cigars for people bringing that blend back. He did uh, just a number of other things similar to that. He had a, a Cohiba blend, uh, which was just his take on the Cohiba, what the Cohiba profile was, but maybe a little stronger or a little more playing up certain aspects of uh, the blend that he liked. Uh, he was one of the gentlemen who really brought back. Uh, I know this is going to be a shock to the Drew Estate fanboys out there, but uh, Jaime Paredes brought back the Flying Pig Vitola. It was not Jonathan Drew, and made the Flying Pig Vitola, which was, I believe, illegal to roll in Cuba. He would roll it for some people, and so the Hamlet Flying Pig was an extremely sought-after custom Cuban cigar in Cuba. Uh, Cuban cigar in Cuba, get a load of that. Um, so he really, really has, uh, uh, I won't say he's the most well-respected, but he is heavily respected by a lot of people and has had his cigars all over the world, very heavily enjoyed all over the world. Um, Habano Joe in the chat room says, Hamlet now works at Burn in Naples. Uh, yes, I believe that is correct. I don't know if he's working there. I know that he's doing some, so a lot of events there. Now, maybe yeah, he's they, working. I don't know. They just had a big hootenanny this past week down there. But uh, I, 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 there's an interesting little factoid about this 10th anniversary edge, and in that the edge plant is 11 years old. <laughs> it just it didn't make it out in time. Hmm. Well, I think that kind of wraps up the news. What do you think about this cigar these days? You know, I 
I had some thoughts about 10 minutes ago, and let me take a quick measurement and try to quantify that a bit. I am at three and a half inches long left, so I've smoked about three inches, just a bit past halfway of uh, what I will be enjoying with this cigar. Wow. And I thought, what? We are exactly tied. That's exactly what I got left. I started 20 minutes before you. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, I... Up until about a quarter inch ago, maybe yeah, around there, um, uh, had, I, I noticed that this cigar had very, very few changes in the blend. And then I uh, relit the cigar because I was going on way too much, and have noticed that the blend has or that the profile has changed a little bit. And I, I like what it has uh, evolved into. It's it's a little bit deeper. A little less crisp. I do not have the same brown sugar flavors to it, um, but it seems a little more, uh, maybe a little more straightforward and enjoyable, um, rather than kind of the the nuanced lighter cigar that it was in the beginning. Gotcha. Yeah, mine. I don't know that mine's really kind of mixed it up that much. It's been very. It's it's good, but it's been very straightforward throughout. Um, has an exceedingly clean finish. I mean, there's just a pleasant flavor left on the palate, but it's not uh, It's not heavy. It's not polluting at all. It's actually very clean and, and dissipates between puffs even. Um, it's coming across a little bit brighter to me than I expected based on your brown sugar and cocoa comments. It's more... Um, what am I looking for here? That that lady gray thing I mentioned kind of remained, and, and it's still there, and it's almost even citrusy at times. And the bergamot, which is where that comes from, is part of the citrus family. But but it's 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 not a deep sweet kind of citrus. It's crisp, almost lemony, but a a, a milder lemon. It's not sharp at all. I, I'm I'm digging it. glad you like it. Sorry, I'm putting something in the chat room. Oh, we do. And I'm done. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I wonder if this cigar has changed because I've relit it. It doesn't at all taste negatively influenced. It just tastes different. So I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, I'll hesitate to say that I'm glad that I relit it, but I'm enjoying the difference in it. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that question if you thought it was because you relit it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, think, I think it was. We have a little bit of a lag. I, I think it was because I relit it, and you know, I, I'm okay with that. I don't like when you relight a cigar and then you get a little bit of that acrid um, flavor, but it's still, you know. It's veiling over the the blend that you or the profile that you enjoy. This isn't like that. It's not an influenced version of what the cigar should be. It's it just seems different, which it's just it's just nice. Hmm. Cool. I think we're having a little bit of a, a lag in our at the moment. We're stepping on it, but uh, going forward, I see you are. Just now adding some cigars to what you smoked this week. And it looks like maybe yes, you got sir, a couple in. But 
Sorry about that. Well, yes, I do. I will. Why don't, why don't you take this here? I feel like I'm going to be uh, talking over you. Otherwise, apologize for the delay. All righty then. Well, I got a couple on here um, The from United Cigars. I had the Bandolero this week, uh, which we talked about several weeks ago. This is the first and only of these I had. Uh, Barry Stein actually sent me one to try. And I thought it was a very enjoyable cigar. Uh, I had I, uh, I had a mistaken idea about the MSRP on this cigar while I was smoking it. Um, there are a couple of other cigars they manufacture that are pushing the $30 per stick price. And so I, I, I guess maybe that was casting a little bit of negativity over it at the moment. Uh, but I subsequently found out these go for right around 12 bucks or so, I believe, for the Bandolero. And it had a lot of the same qualities we've talked about with some of your uh, Cuban cigars you've sent down with a lot of that sweet and sour kind of interplay. The clean finish, like I was just talking about with this one. Um, very nice. Not not a great deal of complexity, but thoroughly enjoyable. I really had a good time with that cigar. And hmm. would not hesitate to... to have a couple of those around at at twelve bucks, at thirty I probably wouldn't wouldn't have picked up anymore. Yeah, I uh, I think the number of cigars that I'd reach to regularly at thirty dollars is easily able to be counted on one hand, and uh, most likely able to be counted with just two fingers. And one of them being the cigar you can't get that we had last year. Um. Oh, what did we have last year? But this is a cigar I can't get. The unknown Fuente, whatever we fired up. Oh well, I'm talking about cigars that you could, that you could probably buy at certain tobacconists. You're just spending thirty dollars on them. But yeah, that cigar, I'd I'd easily spend thirty dollars on that if I had a regular uh, pipeline to get them. I'd spend more than that. That was that was awesome. I'm yeah, just gonna. Maybe. I'm gonna sit back and dream for a few moments. <laughs> a moment of silence. <laughs> yeah. Well, are you ready uh, to talk about some of yours, or you want me to hit another one? No, no, I'm definitely uh, ready. Thank you for the uh, the few moments of of uh, lag time to let me finish up what I put in here. But um, I did a little. You know, as we talked about, I was in Colorado last week and did a little fishing with my old man and had just. A spectacular time um and i had uh, a spectacularly great partigas corona from 2006 um this cigar was just like it, it's so strange when a cigar is so clear with what it tastes like and especially when it's something that is so random and off the wall this cigar tasted like the the beautiful sweet um, just bustling tobacco flavors you'll get from some cigars mixed with a fresh loaf of French bread. It, it was amazing. It wasn't like a yeasty or sweet bread like sometimes you'll you'll find bready. A bready flavor is a relatively rare flavor in cigars, but typically when you get it, it's a little bit more of like this sweeter, bready, yeasty type flavors. This was not. This just was that savory, unctuous French bread like you're going to 
Like you're going to take it right out of the oven, cut off a big slice and slather it in some butter. It was just an awesome addition to this, the Partagas profile. Perfect cigar. Awesome, awesome, awesome cigar. Wow, that sounds sounds awesome. <laughs> I don't. I just don't think I've ever had that kind of savory bread flavor before. It's typically just more of a of a, a sweeter, yeasty, bready flavor to me. I, I don't know. This was really, really cool. Hmm. Well, let's see. Jumping right along, I got uh, the Asylum Nyctophilia, which I actually talked about last week. Um, which is a, the new Asylum cigar. It was launched nationally at Tampa Humidor, and I ran down for the event. And the lady told me later I was the first guy that bought that cigar and enjoyed it. And I talked about it last week after I'd had, I think, just one at the time. And I think I just said it, it didn't stand my world on its head, but it's pretty good. And, and in the meantime, I've had a couple more of those, and it's it's grown on me quite a lot. Um Still not ready to go mortgage the, the house, especially since I just sold the house uh, to, to buy them. But uh, it's a Maduro, Maduro, Maduro uh, wrapper, binder, and filler. Uh, Maduro leaf throughout the cigar. It's got a San Andres wrapper, Nicaraguan guts. Uh, I, I had the Robusto, which goes about six bucks. Uh, there's a six by 60 and a seven by 70 in the line because it's asylum. That's what they do. Um, and this cigar is only going to be available for the first several months to a year at TAA, at Tobacco Association Retailers. Uh, so it is limited to those retailers for, for the near future, but it will open up after that period. And I I got to say, I, it, it grew on me more than I expected. Um, and in my final push before I get out of this country to grab a few more cigars, I think I'll grab some of those. Uh, I really liked it, which is more than I can say for that insidious Maduro they put out a while back. <laughs> <laughs> that cigar uh, caught me off guard. I didn't remember. I just grabbed it and, at, the, at the shop and bought it and lit it up and didn't realize it had a sweetened tip. And I'm not the biggest fan of sweetened tips and flavored cigars. And It was okay, but it just... It was just a little over the top for my taste. There was nothing inherently wrong with the cigar. It just wasn't my cup of tea. But uh, but this one, I, I dig this nyctophilia, man. I think it's definitely worth trying for the overwhelming majority of folks out there. Yeah, but but was that uh, sugar tip cigar a Pura del Sol, Kip? Eh? <laughs> Isla del Sol. Isla del Sol. No, it wasn't. I'm glad I got that name wrong. It makes me feel so much happier. <laughs> no, it was not. Uh, and and you know what? It's not the most cloying kind of uh, that style of cigar I've ever had. Uh, it's it's tastefully done for folks who like flavored cigars, and it and it's not a strange flavor. It's just sweetened, and it reminded me. And I don't know if they still do this, but back in the day, the Florida Oliva, the bundled cigars that Oliva made, which for a number of years was the biggest selling bundled cigar in the country. They made millions of those things. And before before April 1st of 2009, when S-Chip went into effect, you could get them for like a buck a stick. But uh, 
those cigars had a rather than dipping them, infusing them, flavor them, doing any of that stuff, they had a sweetened goma, the the adhesive they used to apply the cap and and mm. tack down the wrapper, and so it's just just a little bit, just enough, and it actually the, I smoked those on occasion back in the day. I, I haven't in a long time, but and I like them quite a lot, and that's kind of what this reminded me of. But it's just it was just a little more than that, a little more than I personally cared for, although. Like I said, there was nothing inherently wrong with the cigar. The construction was great and everything was fine. It's just not something I'm out looking for. Hmm. Well, to each his own. There was a time when I used to buy Carbonell's because they were a $2 cigar that I could get a double Corona with, you know, mm-hmm. and didn't mind the sweetened tip. There you go. If, yeah, if, yeah. if we all had liked the same thing, it would narrow the market quite a bit. Very true. What else you got on here? You got several to go through. I do. I uh, I had uh, I had one very good day when I uh, I just took twenty four hours and made sure to smoke some good cigars. Um, I had a two thousand three uh, Saint Louis Ray Regio, which is the I believe it's a robusto. It might be a Hermoso number four, which is nearly a robusto. Uh, five by forty-eight versus four and seven eighths by fifty. Um, so nearly the same vitola, but just slightly different. Slightly different, excuse me. Um, and I just caught this wonderfully slightly salty, sweet citrus flavor. Um, SLRs, if anybody's ever had them, have a, a basic tobacco core, sweet profile, medium body, crisp. That that sweet and sour taste that uh, or sensation Kip talks about. Uh, and their profile is just slightly salty. It and that saltiness adds just a lot more intrigue to that kind of sweet citrus, um, sweet and sour flavor. That that is kind of a, a stalwart when it comes to Cuban tobacco or Cuban blends. It really balanced it out nicely and was a, a great morning cigar. This is the first one that I had. Uh, had it right after breakfast at seven thirty in the morning on the road to. Uh, find our next fishing hole. So it was, it was just a, a, a great, great stick to uh, start the day off. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, only one left. So why don't I get one more in here and then okay. I'll let you close out yours and then I will close out the segment. Um, the next that I'll mention is uh, a five-year-old Fuente 858 Sun Grown. And uh, I believe this was the first cigar that we smoked and reviewed for Half Ashed. And this one happens to have uh, five years on it from June of 2010. So just about five years. And I, I have to say, I, I think that age wasn't exactly best for this cigar. It it got a little too crisp. Some of the flavors that, that I'm accustomed to and some of the just the slight boldness or edge with some of the younger versions had rounded out and that crispness that that sweet kind of i don't even know if i want to say sweet the the very crisp very bright bright is the proper term core to this cigar took a little bit too much of the spotlight away from the other aspects of this blend um certainly was not bad at all I just, uh, I smoked probably four inches of the six-inch cigar, four and a quarter inches of the six, six and a half-inch cigar, whatever the length is. 
And I didn't, I, at that point, I just found myself going, oh, I've got two and a half inches left. All right, I've got two and a quarter inches left. I, I didn't really want to finish it. The profile was enjoyable. It would have been great if it was a Rothschild. Yep, like the uh, Chateau Sungrown, that had been perfect. Yeah, absolutely. If it would have been the Chateau, absolutely would have been perfect. Yeah, and, and what you're describing, I've noticed before with Fuentes, their blends they put together and throw that sun-grown wrapper on, it, it happens. I mean, it's just the, those, the Chateau sun-grown, of course, the double Chateau, 858 sun-grown, the, the um, Cuban Bellicoso, the King Bee, all those have that same wrapper and very similar blends. They're just different sizes, and, and they go through that same process. And you may have kind of been on the cusp, but it, after longer aging, seven, eight, ten years, uh, they they tend to go a little flat, and, and it happens just like that. And, and it's almost an overnight thing. And so I'll keep them around for four or five years, but generally I don't save those sun-grown wrapped cigars from Fuente for much longer than that. And I, I love them fresh. I'm, when when the Sun Grown 858s hits a shelf, that's one of the few times I'm there. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the shop waiting on them. I, uh, I definitely think I will smoke the 858 Sun Growns I have fresh from now on. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's not as big an issue as it once was. Uh, at one time, those cigars were so stinking hard to get. Because they only would release a few here and there, and there'd be some, most retailers didn't even get them. They had to commit to so many boxes at the show to be able to buy those at other times a year, and it was a lot of craziness. But nowadays, man, that sun-grown eight five eights this year have not been super common, but the past two years, they, the Tampa market was flooded. Um, the, the shop I normally frequent had those things on the shelf for months, just boxes and boxes of them. Mm. They don't have any right now, but they did for a very long time. Have you noticed any uh, changes in the 858 Sun blend when fresh recently? Uh, I don't guess I have, but frankly, I've not smoked a huge number of them this year. Hmm. And I think I may only have a handful in the humidor. And one of them is past the point that I was just describing. It's from 07, somewhere around there. The others are more recent. But I don't have many of them around. Let's see. I got one more here I'll talk about. And what happened, and I still have the band laying here, Eddie Ortega's Series D, the natural in particular, but Maduro and natural, both uh, the shop, my local shop, uh, is is dropping this line, and they have them clearanced out for forty percent off right now, which is hmm. pretty pretty good price. Uh, actually, a fantastic price. And so, um, I last two weeks while people were walking through my house and all these strangers and whatnot, I just made myself scarce and spent several days working from from the cigar shop, which is nice. Um, and so I grabbed some of these while I was down there, seeing as how they're 40% off, and I hadn't had one in quite some time, a year or more probably. And I lit up the first natural and just sat there wondering why I 
had not been smoking them lately. I'm, I just got distracted oh. by other things. It was a very good cigar. And I liked them at the time. I loved the Maduro. But now after smoking the natural and the Maduro both, who knows how these things have been sitting on the shelf forever because for whatever reason, the shop just wasn't able to move them. Um, but this natural, man, it was it was a fantastic smoke. And if I make it back down there before they're gone, I'll pick up a few more. Um, hmm. Loved it. it. It had a lot of that breadiness you were describing and and uh, a lot of cedar toward the end. It, it got, you know, kind of got a little bit to where if it had gone any further with the cedar, it would have become a little bitter, but it never really crossed that line. Uh, I, I enjoyed it from start to finish. Hmm. It's, I, boy, I was about to say that's shocking. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just <laughs> off my radar, and so it's always something that I enjoy to to have uh, a light illuminate something I'm not normally looking at. How's that? That, that? that line, nothing changed in it to make me not enjoy them. It's just I got carried off onto other cigars and had not paid any attention to them. But uh, I'm, I'm glad I got this one and I got a couple more, but I'll, like I said, I'll grab some more if they're available. But I don't know. You know, I mean, I sat there wondering why did I let these fall off? I used to like them. Never stopped liking them. I just stopped buying them. Hmm. Well, my last that I've got on here is uh, a cigar that you know, this is one of those cigars that I don't reach for often. I don't own many of them. Um, <clears throat> I received some uh, from a friend not too terribly long ago. I wanted to give him a shot. This is uh, 2003 Romeo Julieta, Exhibition Number 4, which is another Robusto. Um, and Romeo's, to me, I, I've had some just drop-dead amazing Churchill's in Tubo um, <clears throat> that I was lucky enough to pick up heavily aged uh, 30-year-old cigars just at a steal box of 10 for 400 bucks a couple years back from a, an absolute rock-solid um, uh, seller. Those, those versions of the Romeo profile were just awesome really really good and different and totally 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 vintage tobacco laden in flavor um younger romeos i tend to shy away from they've just got some flavors that i don't often line up with um the cedros deluxe is a little bit of the the exception to that rule uh i haven't smoked very many casadoras but those also can be slightly uh, an exception where they just vary from kind of a sweet herbal flavor that uh, is just the, the basis of the Romeo profile. So this exhibition number four was just loaded with that sweet herbal flavor. And I smoked two thirds of the cigar, got about an inch and a half, inch and three quarters left and just didn't want to smoke anymore for posterity. It just wasn't, it wasn't lighting me on fire. And, uh, you know, I, I had a ton of flavor from the cigar. It just was not flavor that I wanted. Um, you know, those of you who like Romeo, those of you who like um, the sweet, lighter, 
or I should say softer type flavors that are akin to Romeo would love this cigar because it had, it had really balanced out. It was without question, very flavorful and a perfect construction, great draw. Uh, it's just that it, it wasn't up my alley and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, chocolate and vanilla, I guess, you know, one of the uh, first, not one of the first Cuban cigar I ever had was a Romeo, and it was one of those little tubos. I think they were machine made, the little bitty guys, um, back in I don't know late nineties, early two thousands, I guess. And I, I remember that moment in time. The cigar wasn't that spectacular, but I was hanging out on a small lake in Crossville, Tennessee, sitting on the dock fishing the whole afternoon, and. And it was, I just had the best time sitting there alone fishing. And it was, it was huh. a, one of those times where the cigar was okay, but the the afternoon was fantastic. Hmm. It's uh, it, it's never a surprise to hear a story that a cigar was involved in an amazing afternoon. That it just was a part of a great memory that somebody has. Now, what is surprising is that that cigar was a part of this, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Eh. No, no, it's uh, again chocolate and vanilla. It's just not my cup of tea, but it's not necessarily a bad cigar at all. No, it, it was good enough for the day. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's all it needs to be. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, fifteen years ago, not any smarter now, but it's fifteen years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. Your beard is much better. Yeah. It's actually about the same as it was 15 years ago. Yeah. That's the same. Uh, I think that wraps that up. I got a few notes here and a couple other little side issues. I know we're a little bit pressed for time, but uh, this one I just wanted to throw out there and see what you thought about it because it was on my mind this week. And, and the, the question I ask is, if it's just me or if the store exclusive shtick has just gone kind of nuts and gone overboard lately. Cause uh, as, as the days go by, it seems like, you know, Tatawahe has done this for, for years, but, but there's a number of other makers that are putting out store exclusives where they make a cigar for a shop. And if it's what, well, I guess, let me just cut to the chase here. What's bugging me is as I try some of these, they seem like, okay, it's the same cigar and it's a half inch shorter. Uh, you know, so there's nothing different, nothing unique about it other than the size. And I, at one time I was just nuts about chasing this kind of thing down, getting this or that and, and looking for that cigar thinking it's going to be great and wonderful and magnificent. But now it just boggles my mind to try to even bother keeping up with them. And I'm, I'm kind of just, gotten over it so to speak you know and i don't know they even keep too close to tabs on them anymore i just kind of oh okay that's another store exclusive cigar that x cigar company is making or, or, or whatever um but you know I, I don't know hang on we seem to have lost craig so i guess i'm not going to get craig's thoughts on there but uh what about the chat room you guys got any uh got any comments on that uh, you know what? I think I'm going to save this and wrap the show. I'm getting texts from Craig that he has lost his internet. So let me pause for one moment. And if I can't get him back, we will wrap the show up.
Welcome back, folks. We have regained Craig back into the show, and uh, I was going off on a little minor rant about the explosion of store-exclusive cigars and how it's no longer fun to even try to chase these down. Just the, the overwhelming number of them is, is mind-boggling and, and how you know it, it became or has become a bother to me to try to chase them down. Not that it has to be to anybody else or anybody gives a rats behind what my opinion is, but it just seems like so many of them are just a change in size with no, no real difference to the cigar. And I'm speaking specifically most recently about a, a shop here. They had a, a, an exclusive, a store exclusive cigar and it is the exact same blend from a company that makes 20 plus other sizes and shapes of that line nothing different it's it's just a different size and, and to to market that cigar at a dollar or two dollars more than everything else in the line seems ridiculous to me and i've just given up even trying to chase them down and we actually got some some neat commentary in the chat room that you know from zedman says it's it's annoying because you can't get them other places of course and 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 the you know cigar coop i won't spill the beans on what his he's his comments because he has an article he said he's writing up to uh, to put out about this very topic uh, but uh, so look for that at cigar-coop.com uh, sometime in the next few weeks but you know I, I guess if it's something special if it if it really is something worthy of chasing down I can understand it but the, but that's now such a tiny minority that I'm not even bothering I, I see the stories come through but it's not worth me even making a phone call at this point because I know the chances are I can buy the same cigar in a more preferable size for me off the shelf somewhere else any 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 day of the week. You know what it comes down to for me? The only time that this is enjoyable and that I I can't even really say that I seek these cigars out because I just am not I'm not a consumer. I, it's such an interesting thing. The the fact that I love and know about tobacco and cigars, but I don't go out and buy these things on a regular basis. It's just so, I, I don't know, I, I feel like an outsider at times. My perspective is, is that, you know, uh, someone in the chat room mentioned that Pete Johnson put out the Cabaguan shop exclusive, excuse me, that we've previously discussed. I love Cabaguans. If I really wanted that Vitola, if that was a Vitola that I really, really liked the size of, I would be interested in hearing about that and going after it. Probably the perfect example is the Quesada España. I love Lanceros. So Quesada España has come out with two Lanceros. They, they have their H-Town, their more recent Lancero release. Uh, which is available in, I think, at Stogie's in Houston. Um, I, I was jazzed to hear about that cigar. Also, they they had another Lancero release, I think, two years ago. 2014 was the Lancero, if I recall correctly, the Lancero limited release that they do, the one cab, 50 cigars to each, to one uh, shop every month. I was interested in that because I love that Vitola. But the idea of a new cigar that, you know, is just a new cigar, 
and they're only putting it out in one shop. I just don't really give a crap. You know, and I, I don't know if I'm objectively saying that I don't give a crap or if it's because me not really being a huge consumer of new cigars as it is doesn't care because it's just another new cigar. Whether it's available at one shop or a thousand doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I, I'm still thinking through this, still quantifying my thoughts, which is a dangerous time for me to speak on anything. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I, I have not yet ironed out. When I say store exclusive, I'm speaking recently of the cigars we see that are put out in a limited run, one-shot deal, store exclusive, and it just rubs me the wrong way. It seems fake and like it's just 100% marketing shtick. And, and as opposed to a house blend, I call up XYZ Cigar Company and say, hey, I want a house blend. Here's what I'm looking for. We go through some samples. We come up with a blend that I think I can sell, that I like. It's going to always be available at my shop and only be available at my shop. Fine. And, and somebody mentioned the Caucus out of Georgetown Tobacco. I like that cigar. It's a Rocky Patel product, and I really like that cigar. Me too. And I, I don't have a beef with that. But, it, but if somebody's blasting every form of social media out there and hyping up this cigar and there's 5,000 of them made and that's it. And I get it and I smoke it and I'm like, yep, that's like the other 15 Vidolas you make in the same line. And then I'm irritated that I paid extra for the, for, for that. Yeah. And, and it's just gotten that way for me altogether, I guess. You know, great point. Um, I bashed Granabano earlier, Gar, and now I'm going to praise them. They're, they have a, a really big mentality of propping up their retailers. They, they have this relationship with some of their retailers, which is so integrity-based and strength-based that it, what they say is that the best cigar on your shelves should be the one that has your company name it should be your shop exclusive your your house blend and and they have had that mentality since i really dove into the granabano world in the the mid aughts 2004 2005 um they they implore you to say oh you're coming in mr consumer and you want to try a cigar here on my shelf what do you like? Oh, you like a medium-bodied cigar? I have the best medium-bodied cigar that I feel is in my humidor, and it carries my name. Have have an offering that is only available at your shop be something that brings people back and know that when you say it's a good cigar that you should try, that it really is a good cigar. It's yes. not a $2 piece of crap that exactly. you put your band on. Amen. And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, that's... That's where I think a lot of these people fail. They're either not marketing what should be one of their most desirable characteristics, the cigar they blended, they uh, retail, and they market, or they market a piece of crap and then lose their consumers who don't trust them as a tobacconist. Yeah, and, and that – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go. I'm – I'm on a soapbox. Nothing that's coming out is going to be different than what I've already said. Just go right ahead. It has been done so many times that a retailer will have a house blend made, and it's exactly not what you just described. It'll be 
the cheap dollar fifty cigars that they got in a bundle on the shelf because they didn't invest their their life into that cigar. They didn't they didn't put any thought into it. They called up and said, "I want a bunch of cigars. Put my band on it. I don't care what it is." And they sell them for peanuts because they think they can move more of them. They're, they're not invested in that. They're not you know there's sounds stupid and cliche. There's no heart in it, and it's not something they're proud of. It's just something they got on the shelf and that drives me nuts. You're exactly right. It should be something if it were me and I'm not a business guy, I don't own a shop, but if I did, and if it were me, I would want that to be something worthwhile that I could market and be confident that I'm marketing a good product. And, and, and I would have return customers because I didn't just sell them a bundle of 25 garbage sticks. <sighs> and you know what? Same thing in pipe tobacco shops. Yeah. Oh gosh. Shops sell. There are very few precious few tobacconists who still sell good quality tobacco. Um, and I'm talking tins or bulk. You can still get good tobacco in bulk, but most of them don't. They take cheap. And when I say cheap, I'm not saying speaking universally, but much of the time it's going to be lane limited, Pete Stokeby, uh, or one or two other major blending houses that sell massive quantities of bulk tobacco, really cheap, and they're going to buy it in five-pound bags, and they're going to pour a pound or two at a time into big glass jars, and they're going to put a sticker on it with their name. And when you go pipe pipe tobacco and you ask them, what's your best tobacco, they're going to sell you Lane Limited 1Q 99% of the time. That's the biggest selling pipe tobacco on the planet. It's basically a varietal of, or a variation off of one of the Captain Black blends. Just because it's cheap, and that's what sells, and people like it because it smells good. That doesn't mean it's good tobacco, but but it's mm. done. They're, you know, they put their name on it, call it something else, but that's what it is, and that's just how it's done. They don't expend the resources required, and and you know what? In the pipe world, it's probably not worthwhile to be honest. I don't like it, but to be honest, the the pipe market is so small right now that if somebody were to invest the time and effort and money into going to a blending house and creating an actual blend, it it would be cost prohibitive. They may not ever sell enough of that to make their money back. There are shops that do, but typically it's the bigger ones, and there's not a lot of them left. But I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. I just know this this particular trend has been a thorn in my side here lately. I've got uh, <clears throat> a little bit of a different angle on this from what you're talking about. PDNJ dog just put in the chat room five minutes ago that Roma craft releases a lot of shop exclusives and that are just, they're just variations in size from their core lines. So this brought me to another frame of mind here. I don't see Romacraft going out and marketing, hey, we've got this shop exclusive, which is only at, you know, um, oh, gosh, what the heck is the the Chicago tobacconist that they've got the Audubons at? Um, Blue Havana. Blue, Blue Havana. Yeah. Uh, I don't see um, Romacraft going out and, and chilling. Hey, get to get to Blue Havana because we've got this new cigar that you can only get there, and it's just a Cro Magnon in a you know uh, 
perfecto, but uh, yeah, go there and pick it up. They're not doing that. I almost think that some of these manufacturers who put out shop exclusives that aren't a huge marketing ploy, it's almost a, a, a treat for the regulars at that shop, you know, and, and I don't have a problem with that. And so it makes me think, is this really uh, the marketing that I have an issue with? Or is it the fact that, that tobacconists and shops have a closer working relationship and they're putting out more, the, the, the manufacturers putting out more what the tobacconist is asking for. Cause when you look at it that way, it is, great that that the manufacturer is heavily focused and in tune with what a brick and mortar is needing that's what the industry should be it, it all just comes down to the perception of it and how it's how it's pushed as well so i that it almost kind of changes me a little bit midstream here but at the same time i think it does come down to are you marketing this that this is going to be something that guys are going to you know, be on the phone 10 a.m. the day this cigar shows up on a shelf and you'll never see it again after two days when it sells out? Or is it, uh, hey, this cigar is going to be available at this shop. It's not really their, you know, their house blend. It's just a cigar that we're selling there because they can move uh, Perla really well because their market is really cold. And so four by 40 is a perfect Vitola for them. You know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I need to couch some of the criticism I have and, and be very upfront. And I think it is a benefit to the industry when manufacturers and brick and mortars are working well together. I, I really think that that's what an organization like TAA or RTD, uh, IPCPR should focus more on, bringing everyone together as a unified front and educating people to be unified in how they manufacture and retail, but I think you kind of walk a tightrope line and how much you push that or what you do gets a little, dare I say unethical? I don't think unethical is the right word. I don't know. Just uh, unappetizing might be the best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Maybe it wouldn't even be an issue if it were an occasional or infrequent occurrence. And it may just be that I have grown weary of just the sheer volume of these things coming out and, and, and gotten a little bit jaded about going to the trouble of chasing them down. I, I just don't do it. Yeah, there, there's, there's two sides to this discussion here, and I think we've covered both of them pretty objectively. And I think that they both have merit one for the negative and one for the positive. And, and it's just the consumer's job to be able to recognize that. And you know what? There were a lot of, all right, here's a rat hole for you. Um, <laughs> I, I was at a, uh, I was at a cigar event with Pete and Papine um, three years ago, three years ago, four years ago. I don't know, 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And uh, I had, recently gotten back from spending a lot of time at La Estrella with both of them and had developed a bit of a friendship with Pete. So he and I were talking a bunch and we were sharing some cigars and just, you know, like two guys having a herf. And uh, we were actually there with, um, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter. We were there with uh, another guy who now works for Drew Estate and he's kind of a, a well-known figure with Drew Estate. Um, 
but the three of us were just chatting and having a damn good time. And um, it, it my age came up, and Pete asked me what my age was, and and he was surprised that I was in my thirties, and so. I asked him, why, why, why is that surprising to you? And he said, well, there just seems like there are so many guys who are just getting into cigars and kind of getting into the, the, uh, the art of the chase, you know, really getting interested in the, the hobby of it rather than perhaps the lifestyle of it. And I'm putting words into his mouth there. So if I'm, you know, if Pete ever listens to this and this isn't what his intentions were, I apologize, but my takeaway from it was that it was it, there was some unsaid thoughts that were a little bit uh, thinking that maybe there's some unsustainable, uh, let's call it irrational exuberance uh, towards the, you know, the the fanboy chase down, go crazy over a cigar that really doesn't deserve it versus enjoying a cigar that is just an experience. This was just after the J Fuego uh, originals had come out. The ones in the, the little, uh, or, or yeah, the originals is the Vitola, the ones in the, the paper pack. Um, I pulled those out of my cigar caddy and I shared those with Pete and with uh, this other guy because it was, it was a damn good cigar and it didn't matter if it was $3, you know? And so mm-hmm. we kind of talked a little bit about a cigar being what should be sought after because it's a good cigar not just because it's a popularity contest, so to speak. And uh, I think that's, that's where this line is. Is it a popularity contest or or is it really the integrity of the stick? Well, I think it could go either way. I mean, there are fanboys of two or three brands that are going to buy whatever they put out and say they're good, whether they're good or not. You know, if the same mom and pop sized, cigar maker put out a special cigar at the same shop, that same guy who's not even going to think about buying it. Yeah. But, yeah. Whatever. Great topic. Great conversation. Great topic, Kip. The uh, other one in there, we're going to save for next week, I think, because uh, I, I can explain that a little more to you, where I, what I'm getting at with that one. But uh, I think that'll be a good one, too. Great. Um, but uh, let's wrap up some final notes about this cigar. Well, I am uh, two hours, 15 minutes into mine and only had one relight because I was yapping too much about uh, Gar, I believe. And I have, let me take a quick measurement. Let me pull up my tape measure. <laughs> two and a, I have two and a quarter inches left. So I've smoked four and a quarter inches in uh, about two hours, 15 minutes. It's a damn good cigar for me. I have surpassed you. I have an inch and three quarters left. I am not surprised, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to actually touch mine up. I've got a little bit of a tail here that's not uh, combusting with the rest of it, but um, nothing against the cigar for that. I, I find it to be very good. It certainly has, uh, I won't say strengthened, it certainly has transitioned into a little bit harder uh, flavored cigar. I harder flavors are in the cigar. I really enjoy that, that transition to it. I was a little afraid that we'd be seeing a little bit of a one note experience tonight. And I'm happy that mine has transitioned out of that and gotten a little more, uh, intriguing. Let's say I really do find it to be good. 
I'm with you. Mine has gotten uh, quite a bit more woodsy than I would have said earlier. And definitely with the, the harder flavors, it's a little, um, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word harsh because it's not harsh, but it has emboldened. It's, it's a more clear presence, a little more left behind on the palate. Uh, I've not had to relight mine at all. Touched it up a time or two, but, but not, not had to do a full relight. Um, like I said, I got about an inch and three quarters left and it, it, I think it's not far from telling me it's done uh, and definitely has has picked up in terms of strength for me. Uh, I don't have, you know, cold sweats and dizziness, but I'm I'm feeling the effects of the nicotine. Um, you know, it's, it's not a small cigar, but uh, nonetheless, I'm, I'm feeling this, but still willing to go through the next half inch or so before I think it wraps up. Hmm. Hmm. Very cool, man. Well, we ready to wrap this joker up? I think we are. What uh, was supposed to be a shorter show has turned into two hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh. Well, let's wrap her up. Everyone, we certainly appreciate you tuning in, whether you're here live with us tonight in the chat room, which has been a quite active tonight. Thanks, guys, for, for all the commentary. I, I kind of dig that. And uh, we invite you back next week for episode 117, where we will be smoking the EP Carrillo La Historia. La Historia. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get us a kip at halfashed.com or craig at halfashed.com. Love to hear from you. Whatever you got, throw it at us. Comments, concerns, complaints, compliments. You go trashing us. Don't promise I'm going to answer you back, but we'll think about it anyway. We'll at least read it. <laughs> and if you got an unbanded suggestion, you can email that to info at halfashed.com where uh, my wife will get that and take care of sourcing and unbanding the cigars for us. And uh, if you have a submission, you can get us at the Kipper Craig addresses, but we're getting near into the time where that process may need to be altered. Uh, it's not going to be easy to get cigars back and forth to me in the Dominican, so we may have to rethink our unbanded process. Um, but I uh, also want to invite you to join us over at halfashed.com for the uh, the forum and, and whatever else we got going on. Uh, been a little lax during the last 30 days and getting stories posted, but hopefully we'll get back into a groove once it calms down here in the next few weeks. But uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're out there. Uh, not too hard to get a hold of. Give us a yeah. We like it. Yes, sir. Well, it uh, has been a fantastic reemergence into uh, the world of half ash for me. Thank you for that tonight, Kip. I uh, have really enjoyed broadcasting, chatting, smoking a cigar, and uh, interacting with the chat room. This has been uh, a really great show for me. Lots of great, legitimate conversation and opinion shared, and. Uh, Without question, the most fun I've had on the show in a while. So thanks, man. I appreciate that greatly. E vice versa. And uh, want to send tonight's show out on a little bit of a low-key note. No dedication tonight. Not uh, without merit, certainly. But uh, perhaps just a, just a nice, easygoing uh, goodbye to everybody who's in the chat room and everybody who's listening. Downloads this on a future date, whenever that may be. If the year's 2035 and... Uh, and you're listening to this, look me up. I'd love to talk to you. How's that? <laughs> uh, all right, boys and girls, we appreciate everything that you do. 
just want to say good night, everybody, and thanks for.